hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey, welcome to the Pool Player Podcast brought to you by Pool Scene 365. I'm your host, Joey Ryan. If you're enjoying this content, do me a favor, hit the like button, share it, subscribe, and click the notification bell so you get updated with all the latest episodes, including the one we have today, which is a great one for you. By the way, one thing I haven't mentioned before is if you could do me a favor and comment on the videos, maybe I forgot to ask a question that you've been dying to know about one of these players, just hit hit up the comments there and let me know. And I'm happy to go through and follow up with them after the podcast and ask that question and see if we can get an answer for you. So today I'm really excited about the guest that we have here. And uh, he's got a long list of accomplishments, but I'm just going to name a few. Uh, he's a member, former member of Moscone Cup teams from 2009 to 2017. He's the former 2010 runner-up in the Beijing International Open. He's also the runner-up in the 2019 Super Billiards Expo, a great event they have there, usually in Valley Forge. I think it's in New Jersey now. He finished fourth in the Spain Open. Um, he's also the former champion from the Jay Swanson Memorial tournament and the rum runner. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Oscar Dominguez to the program. Hey, Oscar, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. And, and I know uh, congratulations are in order. You just had another daughter. And so I just want to take a minute and congratulate you on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm surprised you had time to do this. <laughs> I know <laughs> having little kids, uh, it gets tough, huh? Yeah. They're, they're, it's a handful, but it's okay. Yeah. Oscar, can you take us through how you got started in pool? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously my father plays. Uh, I played for many years professionally. Um, I actually picked up the game very early. Uh, my dad said I was able to break and run out on a bar table like eight ball, probably when I was about five or six. He says he thought I was going to become a, a champion. And then uh, I guess age seven hit, and then I got into basketball. And I just never picked pool up again until my dad bought a pool hall in Los Angeles, uh, in Northridge, California. And uh, I remember working there for the summer and uh, a lot of the customers were like, hey, Oscar, I don't want to practice alone. Come play with me. And then, you know, it lit the competitive fire little by little and I started losing and I said, oh, I don't like losing. So I started <laughs> practicing and uh Slowly but surely, I, I got addicted. Yeah, so that was my next question is, when did you decide to become a competitive player? Was there a kind of a moment in time where you realized, hey, you know, I, I, I'm losing right now. I don't like losing. And if I want to do this, I'm, I'm really going to work at it. Uh, do you remember that time? I remember it vividly. Um, my dad and his business partner, we used to have Wednesday night tournaments. And it was, it was USPPA handicapped, race to five, single elimination. I still remember like it was yesterday. And we used to get like 70 or 80 players. And we used to add $5 a head, no limits. So the tournaments got pretty juicy, you know, for a Wednesday night tournament. And a kid in high school, uh, I'm thinking, oh, I can win $500 and I can retire. I mean, I, $500 <laughs> to me was an astronomical amount of money. And uh, 
I remember the first time I played, I'd lost 5-0. Play the second time, 5-0, 5-0, 5-0. I lost like maybe five or six tournaments in a row. And I just lost it. I got so upset. I told my dad, dad, this is embarrassing. You know, I'm your son and I can't beat this, this lady who robbed me. Um, <laughs> I need you to teach me. And I was really upset. And my dad's like, okay, if you want to learn, I'll show you some stuff. And uh, I remember from uh, my 18th birthday, I got a custom cue, a Tad custom cue. My dad gave it to me, one of his. And I played my first tournament. I won my first tournament. It was that Wednesday night tournament. And I remember, uh, God, I still remember Norbert Santiago. I still remember the guy who I beat in the finals. He was like a really strong shortstop player. I won like four or 500, I think it was, like four something. And that's it. I was hooked. It was over. Yeah. Taking a kind of like the next step. So, you know, you decided to become competitive and you snapped off that Wednesday night tournament that you had struggled with for, for so long. Um, when was the moment where, you know, you got up to the higher level tournaments, let's say, and you realized, hey, wait a minute, I've arrived. I can pretty much beat anybody if I play my game. When was that? Uh, I remember it was a bicycle club in Los Angeles. Um, wow. I didn't have the money. It was a $500 entry fee. And my good friend, Jerry Quist, he's a personal makeup artist for Bruce Willis. Um, really good friend, family friend of ours. He says, Oscar, I'll put you in. And he was just donating the money, of course. I mean, I had no chance at the time. But I remember I, I lost my first round. I was so nervous. And then I was going to play the loser of Johnny Archer and Dan Wallace. And Dan Wallace is a great player from San Diego. And it was Hill Hill, and I was hoping for Johnny to, uh, to lose. I was rooting for the other guy because I wanted to play Johnny Archer. Yeah. And Dan ended up losing Hill Hill. So I played Dan. I beat him. I beat Corey Harper. I beat a couple other players. And I ended up cashing. And I had only been playing pool for six months at that point. And uh, I said, and I remember losing to Danny Harriman, who was playing really well at the time. And I felt like, like I'm not that far behind these guys. I'm really not that far behind. So then I put in a lot of work. I, I became obsessed. Yeah, it's amazing how, you know, the game is so mental, right? Mm -hmm. So when I talk to players that maybe don't play as good as I do, and they say, well, how do, you know, how do I get to that next level? I always tell them, well, you know, so much of it is in your mind, right? If you're losing to somebody seven out of 10 times, if you can get to the point where you're only losing six out of 10 times, you're pretty much the same player they are, right? <laughs> and so then once you decide that I play as good as that person, now you're winning six out of 10, right? So uh, Oscar, I met you years ago. Uh, I've joked around with you a little bit about this. It was in the bathroom at the Super Billiards Expo. I know it sounds embarrassing, but uh, you had just finished a match and you played great. And it just so happened that after your match, I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And you had went to the bathroom right after the match. And so we're at the sinks washing our hands. Okay. Not at the urinals, but at the sinks. <laughs> and I said, Oscar, that was a great match. I really, I really enjoyed watching that. And you were just so polite and modest and approachable um you know with so many brash and cocky pool players out there what led you to being that way to having that disposition um 
I guess my dad, I mean, I, I had a great example. My dad's always been very humble. He always leveled me out no matter what I did in life. Um, perfect example is uh, I remember playing uh, basketball competitively. I played at a decent level. And um, I remember I made 17 out of 21 three-pointers. I mean, I played unbelievable. I had an unbelievable game against one of the top teams in the country for private schools because I went to a private Catholic school, high school. And um, we lost in double overtime. And I told my dad, I'm like, hey, you know, I had a good game at least. And I played really well. And my dad says, yeah, but what about those two free throws you missed in the first quarter? Hmm. And I'm like, you son of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking for your affirmation, you know, and I didn't get it. Um, So little things like that. I mean, he just, like my dad's simple uh, example, my dad always bought his VHS tapes back, the AccuStats tapes, only when he lost. I don't have a single tape of him winning. Really? Every single match he loses. And I asked him, like, don't you have a match where you win? He's like, no, why? Because yeah. I want to see what I did wrong. And uh, I had that ingrained in me from the beginning. It's uh, don't get too high, don't get too low. Um, you know, realize that there's a paddle for everyone's ass, really. You know, I love that because, you know, I look to all these folks that lose a pool match, right? And they're always like, oh, it was a hill, hill, and the ball rolled off, or the waitress walked by. And, you know, I always say to them, well, what about when it was 3-3 and you dogged that straight-in five ball, you know? Yeah. And and nobody ever thinks about that, you know, but I think you do, right? Because of the way that your dad brought you up. And, you know, watching the matches that you lose, I tell everybody that right? If you lose a match and it's on the stream, go back and watch it. You know, it's hard. It's hard to do, it's hard. It, but it's, it's, yeah, it's not easy. You know, you got to swallow your pride. Yeah. So I always like giving guests the opportunity to share entertaining stories. So, you know, one thing I'm trying to do with this is promote the player like yourself. And so that more people get exposed to you and what you're all about, not just at the pool table, but behind the scenes. And also promote the game, but then really share some entertaining, interesting stories that happen out there. Do you have any stories from kind of your travels and, and you know, days out on the road? I can write an encyclopedia of stuff. I mean. Well, pick the best one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I got to go back to my dad. I mean, I remember going to the Philippines and I got off the plane and my dad's like, you know, you want to rest? I'm like, the hell with rest. It's my first time in the Philippines. Let's go gamble. <laughs> so I go to the pool room, one side cafe, and they're like, oh, this guy's an amateur, amateur. And I already know they're full of crap. Right. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let's play for 300. And, you know, I go hill, hill. And I felt like I told my dad, my dad, I'm, this guy can't beat me. He plays good, but I think I'm stealing. But I said, we'll raise the bet it was hill hill i'm like all right so i said you guys want to start over about like a thousand and <laughs> i mean I, i'm 22 at the time you know i'm full of full of testosterone i guess and uh and then long story short the guy's got me like 16 to 2 race to 17 i come back make it 16 15 in a ball nine ball skids on me or else i make it hill hill again so i lose and uh so I don't know who this guy is. I pay off. The, they only bet 700. So I, I got off cheap. And uh, next day, Shane Van Moden comes in. And then this guy asked Shane to play. 
and he robs Shane like 21 to 5 or 21 to 7. His play is unbelievable. And I'm watching this match, and my dad's over there playing in the corner, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he looks at me. He's like, I thought you were said you were stealing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I know. You know who it was? Carlo oh. Beato. Oh, God. Shame. I was playing Carlo Beato, and I'm like, I'm stealing, Dad. I said, can't beat me. He doesn't know how to play position. Jeez. And it, I was the one who didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> it's almost but, like he, he was stalling on you to get at Shane or something. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was playing good because I didn't know who I was playing. Right. You know, the, it goes to the psychological factor where like, I felt like I was a better player than him in that moment, in my heart, I felt like I was a much better player than him. Mm -hmm. I was wrong, but mentally I felt strong. And that's why I was able to compete and almost beat him. So again, you're saying the game's all mental. It's, the reason why I picked that story is because it's so mental because I'm playing one of the best players in the world because I didn't know at the time. But I was just playing my game. I wasn't playing his name. Yeah. So I'm not a professional, but I'm a pretty solid player. And so sometimes I get in a tournament and I'm playing against folks and, you know, I know I play better than them and they're beating me. And it's almost like I want to tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, don't you know, you're supposed to lose here. You know, it's like, <laughs> you can't yeah. do that. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. It's no. frowned upon. Yeah. It's <laughs> So, so Oscar, you're, you're coming to us uh, from hard times right now. That's and right. so that's your room. And uh, I, you know, I think every pool player has had that thought of, you know, what if I owned a room? You know, what if I had my own place, I could make my own rules, I could, you know, have my own tournaments and things like that. But I think there's probably another side to it, right? Uh, other than the glamorous, like I have a pool room. So I kind of wanted to feel you out and see if you could share maybe the good, the bad, and the ugly of, you know, having your own room. Well, I mean, I'll start with the good. Um, my economics professor told me, Oscar, if you can make money while you sleep, you're doing the right thing. So that's something that just stuck with me for, from since I was 19. I'm 35 now. Um, so I always try to figure out what way can I make money while I sleep and enjoy it. Um, the opportunity arose here to purchase this business. Um, and uh, it was an opportunity I just couldn't say no to. Um, there's a lot of moving parts here. I have 33 tables. I have a kitchen. I have a bar. 21 employees. It's 21 personalities, 21 different viewpoints on life. So there's a constant level of stress. I mean, it's not too bad though. I mean, obviously it beats the grind out and you know, going to Derby City and hoping people to, to step out of line so you can make a score. Um, it's a lot of work. Uh, big misconception here is that you get to play pool and I played less pool now than I ever have, ever. I mean, when I had my daughter, I played a lot of pool still because I was still playing for a living. And I had to grind it out. I had to train. I had to practice. I had no choice because I got a family now to depend that depends on me. Here, I don't need to win anymore. So, and it's funny. I, I told I told the my stake horse Tommy. I said, you know, now I have more income than I had before as a pool player. Well, not right now because of COVID, but as a business owner, I had more income coming in. And now I gamble less, significantly less. 
I don't, I really don't gamble much anymore. Um, because I know the value of a dollar, (laughs) you know, when you're young and, you know, easy come, easy go. But, um, one thing about running a business is that the overhead, everyone looks at the money coming in, they see your place slam, they see the register opening and closing. They're like, wow, they're crushing it. And yes, you are crushing it until you have to pay those bills, until you have to pay your rent, your insurance, your, you know, payroll. I mean, every two weeks, um, I get kicked in the gut, you know, in payroll. It, it's, I never in a million years imagined that I would be writing the checks that we write for the business, you know, from a pool player point of view. You, know, you make a $5,000 score in pools, like, hey, it's going to hold you off for a month or so. Yeah. I do a $5,000 score in business. It's, it's nothing. It's, it's, it just goes, you know, it's a very small percentage of what needs to come in to run such a large operation, but I enjoy it because I have all these ideas of, you know, and all my travels all over the world, you know, Indonesia, Japan, Europe. Um, so I'm trying to really kind of incorporate everything I like from every culture or every thing that I like with the pool rooms and trying to incorporate it into my business. Um, you know, there's a lot of great pool rooms out there that I've learned a lot from a lot of great people. And it's, it's nice seeing your ideas work. And there's something satisfying about walking into my pool room and there's action on all the tables. There's, you know, the recreational players having fun and enjoying, uh, the game that I love so much and seeing other people, you know, it kind of, it's a fulfillment, you know, some type of fulfillment that's hard to explain. Yeah. Have you had to make many trade-offs because, you know, you see a lot of rooms open and, you know, I think like if I were to open a room, you know, I would want to, to have it as a room for the players, you know, like all the conditions right for pool players, but we all know pool players don't spend a lot of money, right? So you have the clientele that does spend money. And so yeah. I've seen a lot of rooms have to make that trade off. I'm just curious about that. Um, that's a good question. Um, I've been very blessed and that the pool players do spend money. You know, I, I, I think it's a big misconception. So tournament weekends, Lots of pool players, if you have good, fair options and pricing, they will spend in your place. It's when you're gouging pool players because, you know, our economy is not, the pool player economy is fragile. Mm. So you can shear a sheet many times, but skin them only once. That's a philosophy I've always lived by. Um, People don't mind paying for quality and people don't mind paying for a service if it's fairly priced. Um, I have $90 a month unlimited pool care uh, membership, uh, except when I have a waiting list and they have the option to stay go on time or give up a table. And, you know, do I really make money off of them? Not really, but they're here and they spend money on food, on beer, whatever, because the pool players will spend it if you're fair to them. Um, I consider myself this area is kind of like, you know, working class. This isn't a very high, high end clientele. You know, this isn't the place where you're going to spend $8 for a beer. You know, this is, you know, the $4 Coronas and stuff like that. Um, so we're more of high quantity. We're not trying to gouge people here. 
And I think that's the reason why this place has been here for so long. And, um, you know, and I love having tournaments because it is profitable. I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't profitable. It is profitable to have tournaments here. Mm -hmm. it's more profitable if i win them <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's that's know, bad form you can't win your own tournaments oscar <laughs> yeah well you know what i've i've had that that saying i've had people tell me that but i'm like i love to play pool i'm not going to turn off the competitive edge you know but no i think just just to kind of add to that though i think in all honesty people want to see you at your best, you know? So, so I was joking. I mean, like if I came up to your room and I played in the tournament and I competed against you, if I had the feeling that you were just kind of letting me get past you or whatever, you know, that wouldn't mean as much if I beat you. Right. I would yeah. want to really have your best game. And maybe I played the best set of my life and I beat you, you know, that would make me feel good, you know? Yeah. And so I think, you know, people want to see you play your best. Right. So, I mean, it's, you know, you do have, you know, your, your college kids that come in and buy a couple of pitchers of beer and, you know, spend uh, money here. And it's, it's nice to have both sections and, you know, the, the bad players, the recreational players, they, they know good equipment when they see it too. Yeah. So I make sure I just got all led lighting in the back in the main room. I have 30, 33 tables of led lighting, you know, and uh, the same lights that freezer uses. Yeah his place light systems so you know it's the recreational players like nice things too yeah i bought one of those lights from my house you know i really yeah. like it yeah they work right so who are the top players um you know one of the things when i talk to folks i want to know like maybe who are some of the other players in the area that are kind of coming up that maybe we haven't heard about or maybe we have and we just don't realize they might play out of your room so who are some of the other top players around there uh, we got uh, Mark Kang, Tony Chohan's oh, cousin. Yeah. Mark, the local, he, he comes in all the time. Um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, we got like guys like Skip Nakakis and Francis Rita Rita, uh, good, solid shortstop level players. Um, and then you got like some of the big, big action players like the Roofer. We call him the Roofer, Steve Hausch. <laughs> Love um, the nickname. <laughs> yeah. He owns a roofing company. Yeah. You know, it's not uncommon to see him play a thousand a game, two thousand a game. So I mean, it's wow. I mean, he's very strong action. Um, one pocket. One pocket, yeah, yeah. loves the one pocket. Um, you know, I saw him play Billy Thorpe getting ten six, and he got tortured. But you know, he he steps up and will bet high and and show a lot of gamble. Um, there's a lot of like mid level players. You know, not a whole lot of super, super strong players, but a lot of medium, you know, 680 to 700 Fargo-ish players, you know, there's, we have a bunch of them. Yeah. So speaking of that kind of range, or maybe even a little lower than that, but do you have some advice that you could share with maybe younger up and coming players like that, that could really help their game? Yeah. Um, get proper instruction. I mean, I can't emphasize bad habits suck and breaking them is the worst thing ever. So I feel like you're going to put a lot of limitations on yourself if you don't get proper technique from the beginning. So have guys like Mitch Allerman help you out or guys like uh, Josh Roberts or whoever your local pro is, pick their brain, um, pay them, pay for your lessons. Um, 
the information you're going to learn is going to shave off years off your learning curve. Um, it's worth every dollar. Yeah. Thanks for that. What do you do outside of pool? Like, do you have any special skills or hobbies that folks might not know about? I played basketball. Okay. For a while. Um, I kind of stopped that when I was like 21, 22, but, um, injury related or you just, I just, uh, pool related. <laughs> I'd rather spend my time playing pool than playing ball. Yeah. Um, I was able to dunk a tennis ball at one point. So I how was tall, deep... how tall are you? A uh, five nine. So I'm five nine and I played ball. I grew up in Baltimore and I could dunk a tennis ball. That's what I tell everybody. I, I could get up. I could dunk a tennis ball, never a basketball, no. but a tennis ball. So yeah. So we have that in common. That's pretty cool. Um, but I was not the most gifted athlete, so it was all hard work. I was in the gym every morning and every evening. I mean, it was just doing two a days all the time. But, you know, besides that, I mean, I'm just a family man nowadays. So, you know, my life's changed a lot since having kids. So for the good, though. Yeah. So who would you say is your biggest rival? Uh and maybe share a story or two about playing them. Those Devonta easily. Really? I, I don't know what it is about that guy. He's got my number like you would not believe. And I get it. He's a much better player than me. I'm not saying that I'm a better player than him. I want the fans and the viewers, listeners or whatever to understand I am not saying I'm his level. But I played some amazing pool against him and I cannot win no matter what. I will play amazing and he'll play super amazing and I'll play way over my head and he'll just play even higher. And it's kind of gross to be honest with you. <laughs> I broke and ran seven racks on him at the U S open when he was just inducted into the hall of fame. So I'm thinking, so I'm going to welcome this guy to the hall of fame. That's what I was thinking to myself. You know, <laughs> I put a seven pack on him. I'm up nine zero and he puts an eight on me right back. Oh. which is I get shook. I just dogged my brains out after that. He beats me 11 8. Jeez. I mean, it's yeah. just sick. I'm like, who does that? Yeah. Who, who, who does that? I mean, it's, it's just gross how good he played. I did beat him once. The last time we played, I did beat him, but I felt like I won the World Series when I beat him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a great player. Oh, he's, he's amazing. He's my favorite, one of my favorite players. Yeah, I, I'd love to have him on one time. You know, maybe I'll try to work that out, you know, because a lot of people really have so many good things to say about competing with him. I just had Alex Paddy Lyon on and he was, you know, he said, if I go on the road, that's the one guy I'll go on the road with, you know, because yeah, they get along fun. great. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of fun to be around. Yeah. So for players that have really made the choice to be competitive, um, do you have anything when it comes to like your mental approach to the game that, that you could maybe share that could be helpful to them as they're kind of progressing? Money management. To me, that's the single most important thing you can do for your mental health. Um, there's nothing more devastating than going broke. Hmm. Uh, and it can affect you long-term. It can affect you years. I know this because it happened to me. You know, it took me about two years to recover a big loss. Um, I just could not break that that weight off my shoulder. Couldn't shake it off. Everything went against me. I tried too hard to win. 
it, it really just affected me for years. Um, yeah, I mean, besides that, I mean, another piece of advice I can give you is, is just um, play within your means again, money management, and probably put in the work. I mean, there's no shortcuts. There's a reason why Shane, Dennis are always winning. They're in there at seven in the morning, the day, the second the doors open and they're there till the doors close. If you're not going to put in the work, find a job. Very simple. Um, you're wasting your time and you're wasting your future. Um, I've, I've never been the most talented player in the world. Um, I had some natural talent, but the reason why I played at the level I did is because I worked hard. Um, I put in the work. Was it unusual for me to put in 12, 14 hours a day? I did it for years. No weekends, no life, no girlfriend, just boom, 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 boom. And I reap the rewards. So um, besides that, to other pro players, try to uh, try to enjoy your life. Because, you know, when you – I feel like, honestly, like before COVID hit, I was playing better pool than I was when I was playing full time. Because I was enjoying my life. I had a good balance, good work-life balance. Hmm. And, uh, it was just enough pool where, you know, I was playing two hours a day. It was just enough to where I felt good. But at the same time, I wasn't killing myself. I wasn't stressed. So there's, there's a lot of advice I can give someone, but, you know. No, I think that's great. I think you, you gave some great advice there. And, you know, when I was kind of coming up and cutting my teeth, I was playing in the DC area and there were like four weekly tournaments a week. And every one of them had Brandon Schaff, Keith McCready, Mike Davis, Ryan McCready, you know, a lot of good players in it. And I remember, you know, I have some success against them from time to time, but it seemed like, you know, after a while, I'd kind of get down on myself, right? And I go to the tournament, it's like, what's going to go wrong today? And so I kind of made this conscious decision to put my mind in the right place and say, you know what? My first bad roll, I'm just going to eat it and I'm going to be like, okay, you know, be happy and, and just try to have a positive disposition. It was amazing. It's like, I don't know why I didn't do that more often because every time I did, I'd have a good tournament. I'd upset a couple people and I'd feel great about it, you know? And so I think, you know, what you said about the mental approach, but the money management part, that's really interesting. I've never had somebody tell me that on this ep on, on one of these episodes and, you know, we just, I don't know if you caught the match from this past weekend. This is mm -hmm. obviously, we're not going to air this, you know, in, in the same time frame. but the Tyler Steyer and uh, Atencio match that occurred. And I want to say that Tyler was betting his own 20K. Uh, not all of it, but he was betting a big piece. A big piece. Wow. And so yeah. that kind of made, as soon as I heard about, you know, him, well, I thought he's betting it all, but still betting a big piece of it you know, I, I immediately thought about, wow, he must have his head together in terms of how he's managing his money, which is really cool, you know? Yeah, it's great. So, yeah. So talking about the hard work part, Oscar, can you take us through like what practice sessions, maybe back when you were playing a lot, uh, what your practice sessions look like? Uh, were you throwing balls out on the table? Were you breaking and playing the ghosts? Were you doing drills? What, what did that entail? I mean, it, it depended. Um, when I was probably playing my best, I was doing that seven ball run stuff. 
So I was constantly learning how to run out, run out, run, always having tough shots. So it forced me to run out. And I felt like I was running out, not, not depending on safe anymore. So I was shooting the, the more aggressive shot. And I felt like my wins went up because of that. Um, Jarrell's, I played much better when I, when I got introduced to Johan and, and he worked with me on the drills and the Moscone Cup training and all that stuff, I felt like I became a better player. Um, I never did drills in the past. I always just hit balls. But drills have their purpose. They have their use because you exercise certain parts of your game that are most commonly used. So, um, yeah, I mean, drills. I'll play a little bit of straight pull just to change it up work on my break it just really all depends what I had coming up if I'm in one pocket action I'll play some bankable for a while just to figure stuff out you know the speed you know, lagging banks or whatever um, sometimes I'll kick for 45 minutes straight you know I was going to ask about that because you said I'm going to practice the shots that commonly come up and my next question was about the shots that don't come up that much, right? Uh, like the break shot or jumping or kicking or using a bridge, you know, the things that, you know, like I always go to the, the pool room and before on my way there, I say, I'm going to break the balls for 45 minutes and I do it for about 10 minutes. And then I'm like, okay, let me hit balls in a hole. <laughs> you know, yeah. So um, like, do you practice those things pretty frequently? Uh, I mean, when I was playing, yeah. Um, especially when I lived at my parents' house and I had a table at home, it was different. Uh, my dad recovered the table and I just practiced jump shots for eight hours a day for a week straight. Wow. I told my poor dad, he looked at the pool table and there was white spots all over the table <laughs> and he'd never cared. And then like he, like whenever the table would get worn down, he's like, Hey, I'm going to have to re recover the felt soon. So if you're going to practice your jump shots or your mass A's, now's the time. Yeah. So then I'd be working on my mass A's for like six hours a day and I learned a lot of cool little nifty shots because no one ever practices them because it's frowned upon in the pool hall. Yeah. Because they don't pay for the equipment. But now that I have my own place and my dad still fixes my tables, I can, <laughs> I'm like, hey, dad, I'm kind of mess up the cloth a little bit. Let's, uh, let's fix this table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So you mentioned the Moscone Cup, and I wanted to ask you about really the pressure of competing in the Moscone cup, you know, um, being a part of the team and kind of knowing the whole team's watching the whole country's watching, you know, the fans are crazy, you know, tell us about that. Uh, the first year of 09 was really difficult for me because I mean, I got, I got a lot of pressure. I was very nervous. Um, in 17, I wasn't nervous at all. I actually felt really comfortable. It felt like any other tournament, but I played worse, which didn't make sense. But anyways, um, it's kind of surreal. You know, you, you know, your heart starts pounding. It kind of feels like a basketball game, you know, like we have the cheerleaders and the crowd stomping on their feet and boom, you hear the energy of the crowd and you feel it in your chest. It's the same thing. So I kind of equivalent, uh, make it equivalent to like, you're in, a, you're in overtime and you're down by two points and you're shooting two free throws to tie the game to send it to the second overtime. You have to make those two free throws. That's the pressure you have at Moscone Cup on every single shot, even wow. if it's hanging in the hole. <laughs> yeah. So you can imagine that uh, you, know, you can get an ulcer real quick. 
Yeah. So would you want to do it again? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still planning on playing again. Um, I, I'm 35, Joey. Uh, I'm not old. I'm not past my prime. I have great vision. I had LASIK done uh, in 2019. I still, or excuse me, 2009. Um, I still see great. Um, my nerves are good. Uh, financially, I'm going to have more freedom with the business. Um, and I can use it as a promotional thing to stay, you know, keep, promote the business. Um, Plus, you know, maybe take my wife and my daughters around to see different parts of the world. I figure I, my, that's my dream to kind of play a couple of Euro tours and, you know, maybe play the tournament in Italy and, and take my daughters to you know, Disneyland Paris. You know, that's kind of my dream. Let me ask you about this year's Moscone Cup team. So it was, it was just announced not too long ago. Uh, the last and final spot went to Chris Robinson. And a lot of people, you know, they were thinking that Tyler Steyer would get it because, you know, the team would be the same really from the team that won it the year before. And I think you might know Chris a little bit. Um, yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about Chris and, and what you think about that pick. Uh, he's a great player. He's, he's learning a lot. Um, he's hungry. Um, he does have a lot to learn. He's still green. He he's, he needs more experience. Uh, probably the weakest part of his game is his decision making. Sometimes he he doesn't know when to play safe and when to go for the shot. In my opinion, um, but he's learning quickly. Um, I just think I think the margin for improvement on Chris is very big. So there's so much room for him to grow and. You know, we forget that he's so young. He's just a kid. Um, you know, you don't know, you really don't know what the hell you're doing when you're 22, 23. You have so much more to learn. You think you know a lot, but you don't know anything. Yeah. And you realize that in your 30s, and when you're 35, it's like, wow, I really didn't know anything about life, or that was really stupid, you know, or whatever. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to feel about that that way about myself when I'm in my 40s and 50s. I'm 48, so you will trust me. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much to learn. Um, I think it's safe to say the general consensus is that Tyler is a better player than Chris. I think it's pretty fair to say that currently speaking, but it's nice to see Chris get an opportunity to grow because this experience, his game is going to improve probably a ball and a half or two balls. Yeah. And Tyler, that experience really wasn't going to help him. It might help him a little bit. But the, the experience growth for Chris is going to be much greater because he, he hasn't been there before. And you do grow as a player um, when you do play the Moscone Cup. You do learn because you got the best players in America telling you, hey, this is what you need to do. And, you know, it's nice to have them behind you. And you start learning. You start figuring things out. Well, so, that's a, that's exactly what happened with Tyler, right? Yeah. So the first year when Tyler got selected, everybody was like, what, who, what? And, and uh, you know, if you look at his progression, since he was first selected to the Moscone Cup team, he's a completely different player. Absolutely. Um, and that's the thing. These, these guys are young. And um, let's say, for instance, Chris performs poorly. Let's just say he performs poorly. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. But for next year, 
Chris and Tyler are probably going to be on the team together. They're both going to be much better players. They're both going to grow together. Um, I, I think, I think they picked Chris for it to be a long-term thing, um, to give him the experience that he needs because he's not going away anywhere. He's going to be out there and he's going to get, he's just going to get better and better. Yeah. So you're known as a strong, big money player. Uh, is there a different approach you have when you match up than when you play in tournaments? Um, yeah. I mean, tournaments, you just play, you play whoever. I mean, you have no choice. You put in the money and, uh, your expenses and you get there uh gambling it's how can i say this lightly you find weakness and you find the percentages and you bet high when you have the odds in your favor and you bet low when you don't i mean it's just the you got to pick your spots and and when you're gambling you know if you know if you're going to risk ten thousand dollars you're going to have to realize that there's got to be you have the potential to win it back you know, or win some and more. Um, there's a lot of calculations that go into gambling. Tournaments, there's no calculations. You just go out there and play. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's much much different approach. So in the first episode I ever did with Mike Davis, at the end of it, I asked him how it went. And he said, you know, there's a question you didn't ask me, but you should ask everybody else. So he, didn't, <laughs> he got off the hook here. Um, but I'm going to ask you, What's your highest high and your lowest low in your pool career? Lowest low? I played Keith Bennett. I lost $50,000. That's the lowest low of the New York City. Um, we played Race of 21 for 10000 I lost Hill, 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 Hill. So I lost 20000 And then we play the next day for 15000 a set. I lost 25-23 in Hill Hill. And I wanted to walk in front of an MTA bus. <laughs> I mean, I was low. Uh, so yeah, I lost 50,000. Um, that's the experience that I told you that took me years to recover from. Yeah. And it wasn't my money, and a lot of it wasn't mine. I, I probably lost like 2,000 out of it, 3,000. It wasn't, I didn't lose much. It was just like, it, it was a real big kick in the stomach. Um, biggest high, Mm. playing John Moore in 2009, I gambled, I bet (laughs) $17,600. I still remember like it was yesterday. Wow. Uh, What a number. (laughs) What a number. $17,600 of our own money, me and my dad. And I won a race to a hundred. And, uh, that really helped me out. At the time, we needed. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, I borrowed money there to 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 really bet it. So it was not a smart thing to do. I don't ever encourage anyone to do it. Uh, but I just, I remember shaking like a leaf the first ten games. I was down like eight to zero out the gate, and I'm shaking. I'm I'm literally shaking like a leaf. Mm. I, I kind of settled in and then, you know, 12, 12 or 13, 13. And I'm like, all right, I got this guy. And then I ended up winning, but whatever. Yeah. That was probably for me at the time, John was a great player and he still is obviously, but to me, that was a big high. Um, second in Beijing was a close second. That's a, that was a big tournament for me. 
because I beat everybody at the time. You know, Yang Chin Chun I beat. I lost to uh, Chang Jin Lin in the finals. I remember beating Lee Van Cortez, Thorsten Holman, uh, Chang Yu Lung, uh, Pei Wei Chang, and I beat uh, another Taiwanese champion. Um, low, some low guy. Uh, I forgot his, his first name, but monster player. I beat like nothing but world beaters. Yeah. Was it just you were on that that weekend or? You know? I was I was gambling like 14 hours a day, like the whole week before Beijing, because it was right after the China Open. So I was just gambling, gambling, and I just hit a gear. I was just a dead stroke. Um, and I went in there and dead punch. And, and I beat a lot of people who I shouldn't beat because I played over my head. Yeah. So. Do you have any ideas for growing the sport in the United States? Uh, maybe bringing professional pool really back, right? Uh, I grew up watching, you know, players on ESPN, you know, and we don't get that anymore. And maybe we never will. But do you have any ideas for bringing prof professional pool back to the United States? Uh, it's a good question. Um... I do have ideas. I think, I think we need to get in with the casinos. And I know a lot of people frown upon casinos and they say, oh, we should be, you know, they steal all the money, all the pool players lose their money. Well, that's their problem. That's personal responsibility. If you can't go into a casino and control yourself to not blow all your money, that's your problem. Um, I, I'm, I don't think the sport should suffer for people's personal issues. I hate to say that. Um, I think casinos is where it's at because if the casinos start having more and more events, they can start booking the events. And if they book the events, then you open up a whole new world to, to gaming and gaming is where it's at. All these sports, NFL and MLB, all these major sports, the reason why it's so successful is because they obviously have TV and they have game people bet on it. All the time, people don't bet a quarter. Bet on Super Bowls. They don't know anything about gambling, but they'll bet five hundred on the Super Bowl game. Mm -hmm. They will turn in and watch. They tune in and watch. Um, and if you get into the gambling, there's going to be more viewings. More there's going to be a reason for people to watch it on TV because they're betting on it. Yeah. So I had Sean Wilkie on, and uh, he he brought up Turning Stone and said that. You know, he basically said the same thing that you did about getting the casinos involved and like what Mike Zuglin's done with Turning Stone. They have two events a year. They're big events. And, you know, why can't that be replicated across the country? You know, it so 25,000 for a casino that, that does that in about 20 minutes in, in the food sales. I mean, I mean, why it's it's pennies for them and they get a lot of value because they get Sadly, I hate to say it this way, but a lot of gambling people in there. But that's, yeah. you know, it's a personal responsibility issue. It's not, you know, some people don't want to play tournaments in casinos because they can't control themselves. Again, personal problem. Yeah. So I live in Arizona and we had a tournament at a casino down here near Tucson. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after we got our checks from the tournament, we go to cash them and the casino said, yeah, we're not going to cash those checks. And I'm like, don't you realize who we are? <laughs> We're pool players, you know? It's... Oh yeah. If I were them, I would have cashed a long time ago. Exactly. I'm like, well, you like those chips or cash chips. Here you go, sir. Exactly. 
So uh, you and your wife founded the Mez uh, West State Tour back in 2014. Uh, do you have plans to continue that when the country opens back up? We are. Um, on a smaller scale, I'm probably, I have two events left on the season, which never seem to end because of children and business and whatnot. Um, I tried selling the tour and then uh, they got their own business, the people who ended up uh, taking over. And so now I'm back to stage one again and uh, I'm never going to let it die. I think it's, it's too important for my personal business as a pool room owner to keep the the sport growing. Yeah. So I'll mention uh, Mike Davis again, when he was on and I did his interview, uh, I asked him about sponsorships and like, what was his advice to people who are trying to get sponsorships? And I think I sent you the quote that he said in the video about, you got to be like Oscar, you know, because he's just the kind of guy that companies know he's going to be a stand-up guy. He's always going to try his best. He's always going to do everything, you know, the right way. So can you tell us one, I want to know, uh, you know, anything about any sponsors that you have and kind of how you view that and your responsibility to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sponsored by Frederick Hughes. Um, and uh, in terms of sponsorship, sorry about that. We get phone calls all the time here, see if we're open. Um, my biggest piece of advice is use the product that you love. Forget about the sponsorship, ignore sponsors. This is like, Biggest misconception was I want to be a sponsor player. No, you don't. Because if you're using a product that's costing you matches, it's not worth the sponsorship that you're getting. So why am I worried about getting a free cue stick when I'm playing a $10,000 set and the shaft's going to deflect on me? What do I care about? What do I care about a free cue that's going to deflect on me? Um, if Predator calls me today and says, you know what, Oscar, we don't like the way you represent our products. Um, have a wonderful day. I'm still going to use a break you and I'm still going to use a Revo shaft. Why? Because in my opinion, they're the best for how I play. Um, and I made that, you know, very clear to my sponsors. Like, look, I'm going to use the best equipment, whether I'm not a big fan of your jump cues or I'm not a big fan of your break cues. I'm going to use this break cue because to me, playing great pool is more important than what you can offer me. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's my advice. Ignore it. Just be yourself, play with what you can and call it a day. So Oscar, and speaking with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Nick DeLeon out here in Arizona, he was telling me about some stories that you shared with him about playing in the Far East and what that meant for your game. And so, you know, I know you've talked about it a little bit so far, but I want to dive a little deeper into that. And, you know, can you share with us kind of what that meant to your development playing, playing overseas? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it's safe to say the best players in the world are in Southeast Asia, you know, in the Philippines, Taiwan, China. Um, Vietnam, very strong country. Um, I guess their, their livelihood depends on pool. So they're a hundred percent immersed into the sport. So when you're immersed in the sport, you have a lot more at stake. So when you go there, you surround yourself with greatness really is what it comes down to. And you start learning from everybody. You start watching. You start seeing how they do things differently than 
the American way. Um, and you see that you have a lot to learn because they've dedicated their life to the sport. Um, there's a lot to learn from that culture, um, how they approach the game. They're, they're very, very structured. And the results show this. Um, and it's nice. I have a lot of good experiences out there, um, in Indonesia especially. China, spent a lot of time out there, Singapore. Um, so, you know, you go to these countries, even though they're so close to each other, it's a whole different school of playing. You know, you got the Taiwanese with the Southwest cues. Everyone plays with the Southwest, natural shaft, high deflection. And then you go to the Philippines and everyone uses Predator or Mez. And then you go to Japan, everyone's Mez or Adams. So it's like whole different schools of pool. And you start seeing how the way they do things, and it's kind of cool. I mean, they're great. So many great players there. It's you almost have to be an idiot not to learn. Yeah. So, leading up to this interview, you know, I normally keep it a secret who I'm going to interview, but I think you might even have seen one of my posts online where I, you know, I'd ask people, "Hey, uh, if I were going to." interview and i think i said uh mosker Dominguez or something uh what question you know hypothetically would you want me to ask and you know there were a few good ones but one that i thought was really good especially me being a dad and having three kids is you're a family guy and you know you have a couple daughters you know would you recommend or you know like how would you how would you introduce or would you introduce pool to your daughters as they get older <laughs> Good question. Uh, John Schmidt said it best. Anybody, any parent that tries to teach their kid how to play pool, they should be charged with child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, that John, he, he comes out with some stuff. But um, <laughs> you know what? Uh, I'm going to choose some of the sport that I love. I mean, because you know what? When I'm long gone, they'll probably inherit this business. Mm-hmm. I want them understand the sport i want them to understand the business if they want to play i'll fully support them if they don't want to play i'll fully support them in that way too um i would encourage them to finish their education something that i didn't do which i regret um, i did some college but um, i would encourage them to finish their education um you know learn business uh, you know be smart if I'm able to give them, say, they can inherit the business or they can inherit whatever I have, I want them to manage themselves right. Um, but pool, pool's a beautiful sport. And I owe my life to it. Um, but it's not a lifestyle which I would encourage anyone to, to partake in. Yeah. It, it is a tough life. Well, you know, I think kind of the key is, you know, like your dad introduced you to the game and, but he also introduced the values that were necessary to manage the game and life. Right. And I think a lot of pool players don't have that. I was fortunate enough to have that. And as part of that, maybe that's why I never became a professional, right? Because my dad said, keep it as a hobby, you know, and make sure you do X, Y, and Z. You know, and so there's probably room for both, right? Because I think about that with my kids and they like pool, you know, and so I'd like them to enjoy it as a hobby, 
you know, and maybe get a little competitive with it, but I don't want them going on. Like I had Alex on here and Alex was like, yeah, I went on my first road trip when I was 13. They filed a missing persons report. (laughs) I don't want that, you know? So, yeah. So, um, so winding down, uh, Oscar, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been great. And, you know, we were trying to do this for a little while and, you know, you had a kid, so, you know, obviously that took precedent, but I, I really appreciate you spending the time, uh, spending the time with me. And I just want to kind of give you a chance, uh, any closing thoughts, anything that you want to share with the pool community, uh, you know, about Oscar Domingos. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just a normal guy. I mean, really just down to earth. Uh, you know, I bought a successful business. Um, it was always a dream of mine to own my own forum and, uh, you know, dreams do come true. Uh, I've been very blessed in my life. Uh, I owe it to so many people and, uh, don't screw people over. I mean, that's like one thing I can leave somebody like, don't screw people over. Like the nice guys don't finish last. People appreciate it. Uh, There's a reason why I have a whole bunch of steak horses willing to put me in $10,000 sets because they know if they bet on me, they're going to get valued for the money. They're going to get someone who's going to fight hard and not dump them. Um, Treat people like you want to be treated. You know, live your life. Enjoy it.